you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Sam Aaron. Sam, do you want to say hi? Hi there. How's it going? It's going well. Um, yeah. You were on episode 215 of Ruby Rogues. That was back in July of 2015. <laughs> well remembered. <laughs> or, or well Googled. Um, <laughs> you want to just give us a brief introduction to who you are, and then we'll jump in and uh, get your story, find out where you came from? Who I am. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I'm a person. Um, I'm a programming person. And I like to uh, use programming in a very creative way. So that's my interest. And I particularly like to try and find ways to get others involved and to get them to program creatively too. Uh, and so really that's, that's a very ge generic and, and vague description, but it's essentially what I like, I like to do. And currently what I've been doing for the last while is making music with programming. Yeah, and that's what we talked about on that episode. I think we're going to have you back on Ruby Rose to talk about it some more. Cool, cool. But yeah, um, so Sonic Pi is kind of the thing that at least I know you for. Yes, that's, that's, that's the latest uh, exciting activity I'm working on. Yep. <laughs> Very yep, cool. So almost a million users now uh, all around the world, mostly children learning how to code by making crazy sounds and beats. All in Ruby, of course, as well. Yep. Got to get them young, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, I, my observations are in, in schools when you, when you see kids that are sort of, I don't know, six to 10, they're just super excited and interested and they don't mind making mistakes and making risks. And whoever they are, whatever their backgrounds, it's all the same enthusiasm. It's just as they get older, for some reasons, they've made the decisions about what technology is or what code is. And so, so the younger you get them, the more chance you have of actually showing them what it actually really is and what, what the potential, the exciting potential of programming is. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, let's, let's go back in time a little bit. I'm curious, how did you get into programming? It's a really good question. I, I had a ZX Spectrum 48K <laughs> uh, as a Christmas present. And uh, it was a little box that had these little rubbery keys on them. And uh, when you turn it on, it to plug into a telly, uh, it opened up in a basic prompt. And so to even load a game, like the games you had to write the variable program, it's one line of code, is load, quote, quote, but that was a program. And the cool thing was there was all these magazines around you could, you could buy, which had all these programs and you could copy, which, which never worked. But it was fun to try and play around with them. And I got basic lines drawing, so I drew pictures and made some very simple beeps and music. And that really sort of opened my eyes to, to the, the basics of programming. But it didn't really, the magazines didn't really work for me because they were too complicated. And I didn't really have any friends or family who were programmers. So it kind of stopped 
at that point in terms of programming until I picked up a graphical calculator at school. Just, just these things mm-hmm. had just been created. And they were very simple little calculators with a little little screen on them with three different colors. You could, you could draw each pixel. And they were designed to draw sort of graphs and equations uh, to plot those out. But, of course, they had a very simple program. It's your own little games things. So I really got into programming a graphical calculator. That was probably my first proper programming experience. Wow. I, I had I had a graphing calculator, but uh, each pixel only did one color. <laughs> wow, three guys, three colors. That was from the future. I know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, was, I drew tanks on it and I had the little tanks fire each other with the right angle and trajectory and the little explosion animations and Tetris and, and a really, really, really basic version of Pac-Man, which was super slow, mm-hmm. like the E symbol for Pac-Man. And it, the refresh rate was... One screen per three seconds, I think it was. <laughs> Super slow. Wow. And text adventure games. So I had like a, you could like move around different rooms and it would describe the room you're in and the little puzzles mm-hmm. to solve. And yeah, I, I, I went crazy with the calculator. I loved it. It was a simple device that I could fully understand. And then I just really went, went wild with it. That's, that's awesome. So how did you get to be a professional Ruby programmer? Well, so then... I, that was my, I was at school, and then I thought, well, this programming thing's fun. I'll do a degree in it. So I went to university to study programming. But I found that super boring, and it was fun, but it was nowhere near as fun as the calculator. And, uh, uh, and actually, I taught myself most of the things that they were teaching working within the constraints of the calculator. So I'd already sort of figured out how to take a, a large pro- pro- program, well, large in my sense, and break it down to programs and all those kind of basic things you teach uh, uh, introductory computer, computer science, a lot of it I'd already discovered with a calculator. So it was a bit, it was, it was the same information, but in a really boring way. And <laughs> I had no idea why I carried on. I mean, I did really well in my undergraduate. And so I just fell into a PhD position. And so I started doing this PhD in computer science and I got even more disillusioned, even more bored. And I was doing uh, Java programming, taking someone else's code and trying to figure it out and change it. And I just, I hated it. <laughs> I hated the whole programming thing. And I, I struggled it. I struggled to uh, modify a piece of Java and be able to see the results instantly and understand it. So like things like iteration and I, anything to do with classes, you had to write a whole project to try something out. And I, it was obviously the, the standard answer to all these things is uh, I saw the very first DHH screencast on Rails. And he, drew, he made a blog, whatever, in, in three minutes. Yep. With all the, woo, blog, woo, post, woo, comments. And <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw someone using a REPL. And it was like, crikey, you could actually type in code and get a response straight away. This is genius. Obviously, the REPLs have been around for many, many years, but it was my first really sort of observation of it. So I immediately downloaded the same language, which is this Ruby thing, which had this REPL, IRB. And I immediately fell in love because it was something I could tinker with and play with and ask questions of and get immediate results back, totally unlike the, the Java approach, which required me to create an, a project in Eclipse or whatever every time I wanted to try a new idea out. Here I could just have a very fast feedback relationship with a language via prompt. And that was really, I, I never took a look back. So now I certainly couldn't imagine using any kind of programming language that didn't have a REPL. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I definitely love that aspect where you can get in and just fiddle with stuff and see what yeah. happens. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. Absolutely. So h- how did you wind up doing something like Sonic Pi then? 
Well, I've always been interested in music. At the, at the time, I mean, I finished my PhD and I got a job as a programmer in Amsterdam. And uh, I was still interested in the, sort of the whole rail scene. I was programming as a professional rails programmer. And I was looking at the 37 Signals uh, blog posts. They were, they were putting out some interesting posts back then. I'm sure mm-hmm. they still are. I'm not paying too much attention these days. But then they were really interesting. And they had one post which was of this crazy device called a monome which is a box with lots of lights on it, which are also buttons. And they had this lovely post to show that the design of this was beautiful because when you plugged in the USB cable, which provided power, the lights near the, the socket, they all lit up to show there was some sort of life being breathed into the device. It was a lovely little sort of touch. And so I saw this box of buttons on the 37 Signals post, and I thought, that's, that's cool. How, and I, because I've, I've played pianos and guitars and things, uh-huh. I was always frustrated by the fact that in a piano, the keys are not very uniform and they don't make much sense. And the guitars are same, like the fingerings for the, for the, for the strings seem really complicated and un, well, unnecessarily complicated. Whereas this grid device, I could imagine uh, moving the shapes around the device, transposing or changing and just being regular and easy to work with and, and fun. And so I bought this device and started trying to, uh, to make music with it, really. And the, the standard systems people were using with this monome device was a programming language called Max MSP, which is a visual programming language for music. And so I bought this with Ernest. It was quite expensive, um, but quite quickly realized that sophisticated programs in this visual language turned into a horrible mess on the screen. There's wires and lines everywhere. And it was just, as a programmer, it was just tough to be able to just figure out how to, 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 to disentangle this and figure out what was going on And before I even started to write my own programs. So then I just decided to, to play around with Ruby, really, because that was the language I was familiar with and built some very basic music systems in, in Ruby with, with a mono. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's really cool. So I know that we're going to do an episode on Ruby Rogues, but in, in the meantime, I mean, you said you have over a million users. Yep. And yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. What what have you learned pulling something like this together? Well, so the, the story is actually probably a bit more extended, if that's okay. That yeah. uh, back in the monies, I had some fun, but the programs I was writing were they were very buggy, and I was trying to do concurrent programming. Uh-huh. And because it made sense to me as, as a musician to think about multiple members of a band playing simultaneously, and therefore right. concurrency seemed like a, the obvious, simple approach in terms of thinking about the program. But uh, but my, and I was totally into the TDD stuff at the time, test-driven development, and was bitten by that bug. And so I was writing all these tests, and I had a massive test suite that all passed, but the code didn't really do what it want, wanted it to do, and it was just it was rubbish. <laughs> and at that point, I discovered the programming language Clojure. Uh, which is a Lisp, which runs on the JVM, which uh-huh. had a lot of the features I loved in Ruby, like the REPL we just, just discussed, um, but had some really nice ideas about concurrency and data structures being immutable that you can't change. And so I then spent the next sort of four or five years working in Clojure and building music systems in that, in that language. And I learned a lot doing that. And then a bit later on, uh, after the Raspberry Pi computer came out, I was working at the Cambridge University Computer Laboratory, uh, where the where the Raspberry Pi actually was born. And uh, within seven months of it being released, obviously it was so successful, so many units being sold. Uh, they, they wanted to ask the question: Can we build some interesting software for kids? Right. And uh, so they had a small budget for a, a small guerrilla project, which might have a go at this, which went around the labs. And someone sort of pointed the finger at me and said, "Sam's been working on this crazy music closure system." 
uh, maybe you could do something for kids. And so I was like, sure. I tried to boot the JVM and Clojure on, on the Raspberry Pi, and it took seven minutes for the whole thing to boot. And that's because, for many reasons, the JVM support wasn't that good. My code obviously wasn't very efficient. The Raspberry Pi computers are very slow. But it was clearly not feasible to use that, to use Clojure or, or the JVM. Whereas Ruby just instantly popped up and the, pro, the, the console was there. So I wrote a very, the first prototype of, of Sonic Pi was in Ruby, thinking maybe I might move to Clojure or maybe not, but it worked really well and it just evolved since then and I haven't looked back. And so I actually turned out to use a lot of the lessons I learned uh, working with Clojure directly in Ruby. So a lot of my code is, is weird, hybrid, Clojure style, slash Ruby style code, very functional style. Um, right. And I've, I've taken across lots of the ideas from Clojure, like the Clojure promise uh, a construct, and I've reimplemented that in Ruby. So, yeah, so I, I've learned a lot from Clojure that I brought back into the Ruby world. And yeah, it's, it's worked really well. Does that, does that answer your question? Sorry? Yeah, it does. So, so uh, were you asking though more about like maintaining a large project with lots of users? Was that more the where you're going? No, I, I was just curious, you know, you, how, how, did it, how did it get so much adoption so quickly? Well, I, I don't really know. Um, so I think that the major, th- I mean, I think that the clear answer to that is it, it's installed by default on the Raspberry Pi. So oh, okay. everyone, everyone who's bought a Raspberry Pi will have opened up the little programming thing and clicked on the programming and found Scratch and a few other things in Sonic Pi and clicked on that and what's this and discovered it that way. But also I think that because... I mean, my previous system, Overturn, the Clojure system, I was trying my best to build a really sophisticated, complicated, powerful thing as a programmer. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the most powerful thing I could build that could, like, as, a, as a, a magician, you know, like building a crazy set of spells that could do some crazy stuff. Right. Whereas with Sonic Pi, it was, it was immediately, I was in a classroom. And in a lesson, you have no time to, to, to teach anything. So it had to be incredibly simple, more than I could possibly imagine simple. Um, <laughs> and so it was like, it turned into this really basic, pretty boring, useless BP system that just said boop, 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 boop. And all it did, and all it needed to do really, because I was just explaining algorithms and iteration and conditionals. And so the music was just a, a tool for, for sharing these ideas. But it turned out that that I mean, I built. Uh, kept adding more fun- functionality and uh, and extending it. It turned out that the, the simple approach that was required for the classroom made it so fun to play with that the complicated system just was became a chore to do anything with. And I think it's right. that that simplicity that that was forced by working in the constraint of a classroom that really made a system that that well forced me to make a system that was actually easy and simple and fun to play with. So how do you get it simple? I mean, I'm, I've been uh, working on this system for podcasters and I, I tend to make things really complex and then I start, you know, paring it down and it's like, it's like, okay, I'm not using this or this is too hard. And, but, but inevitably I wind up adding stuff back in too. So then it gets more complicated again. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it pops out of my head is the, is the truth. But the, the approach I've taken was because I was working within a classroom I immediately started to gain an understanding of, of what would be too, too complicated for a teacher to explain in half an hour. And so I got a grasp of, of sort of the level of complexity that, that something needed to be for it to be communicated to, to children in a classroom. Right. And, and so there was a combination of that, really, that sort of tacit understanding or tacit feeling of complexity 
associated with a, a lot, a, a lot of, of um, what's the word? Um, discipline. That's the one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So discipline and a, a tacit understanding of, of complexity, such that I, I will not add a, any attribute in the system that I can't imagine or haven't already taught a ten-year-old child. And um, so I think yes. So the, those two things. And so I spend a lot of time walking around Cambridge, uh, especially in the, in the fields, uh, thinking and trying my best to, to get the ideas that are not just some things I can implement, but things I can imagine fitting into the system that I can also imagine and explain to a 10-year-old child. And most ideas I have don't fit those criteria, so they just go back into the brain sort of cloud of, of potential ideas. So it's only when I manage to solve all those problems, I can build it, it fits with the system and it's simple, then do I actually bother to implement it. Gotcha. So what are you working on now? I am working on struggling to get more sustainable funding for what I'm doing. It seems that the world <laughs> does not value free things, sadly. Sonic Pi is free and it needs free so that the, that people like the Mihakit, an organization in Finland, can send a bus to Africa and teach 2,000 African kids how to code with Sonic Pi. These things are really important to me, but... They obviously don't feed me and my family. So it's figuring out a way to keep that sort of ethical approach to programming and the freeness of it, so whilst also somehow uh, being able to maintain uh, a sustainable income. So that's been the main issue uh, I'm dealing with right now. If anyone has any ideas, then I'll be, I'd love to hear them. Uh, but in terms of features, there's a whole ton of cool things I'm working on. I'm working on improving the IDE, so the environments, to make it more expressive and more give you more feedback. I'm working on... Uh, collaboration across Sonic Pi instances so they can talk to each other really nicely so you can make Sonic Pi bands. I'm working on making sure that you can uh, twiddle controllers, MIDI controllers, which you can already do, but then record those sessions and then have those sessions be shared with other people. So I can say, evaluate this code with this set controller session and you can be able to get deterministic, you get the same music back. So you'll be able to record with, a, with new levels of detail. So you're not just recording the audio, you're recording all the interaction and all the code that's generating those things, which is, makes it really easy for people to learn and open up the box of the music and be able to change it and modify it and, and, and make it their own. I'm working on, what else am I working on? Lots of different things. Granular synthesis, so some crazy audio techniques, be able to record the audio, record the sessions and share them. And for those, to, basically to build community, essentially, so that children in Africa can share their music with children in America and, and to have music as a way of communicating across cultures. I think that's really the sort of the ultimate aim that I'm trying to, to go towards. Very cool. Well, is there anything else I should have asked you about or anything else that you've done that you're particularly proud of? That's a good question. I've got three lovely children. I'm very proud of those. <laughs> um, and, uh, no, I, I'm most proud, really, of being a programmer that got into the Rolling Stone magazine. I think that's pretty crazy. You know, and uh, to, to actually now be able to go... I mean, I, I was randomly in a warehouse in Berlin, techno warehouse, where they're playing crazy beats. And my friend was doing a set three in the morning or something. And uh, it was wicked. I enjoyed it. And his DJ was about to start. He didn't turn up or she'd turn up. And because I had randomly had some synthesizers in my, in my laptop in my bag, my friend said, Sam, do you want to do, do the set? So I did. And it went down really well. And so that's, to me, that's the, to be able to be a programmer that can go into a, a warehouse in Berlin and play techno music using code, using the same tools I use every day. is just, it's a beautiful feeling. And to have got to the point where I really do feel expressive with code 
as a medium, as my own voice. That's, that's, I guess that's what I'm most proud of and I'm most excited to, to take further and particularly to share these ideas and these tools with other people so they can do the same too if they want to. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the last, yeah. the last thing that we do with this show is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Huh. Good question. Well, I really like Sonic Pie, obviously. That's a, <laughs> that's a good pick for me. I also, music-wise, I really like synthesizers. So I've got this cool Moog Minotaur, which is wicked. Monomes are also very cool. I talked about them before. I still play with mine a lot. So they're um, a lovely man called Brian, Cra- uh, Brian Crabtree. That's his name. Mm-hmm. In America, and he makes them in his barn. So they're, they're also a piece of kit. Handmade things. Other shout-outs? No, uh, walking in the hills is uh, that everyone should do more of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Get out of your offices and get into the hills. Your, your brain will thank you and your body too. Yep. All right. I'm going to jump in with a few picks. First of all, I, I just spent uh, the last few days in Denver and uh, I, I had a great time. The company that flew me out, they flew me out to do a presentation for the local meetup group for Angular. And then cool. um, we went up to Vail and they had a house that they had been renting up there to take their clients to and things. And uh, that was a blast. So Vail, Colorado is a pick for me. And uh, nice. I, I, think, I think that's all I've got this time around. But yeah, I had a terrific time up there. People want to follow you or check out Sonic Pie or anything like that. Where do they go? Uh, Twitter is probably the best place. So I'm Sam Aaron, all one word. That's two A's, R-O-N. Uh, and Sonic underscore uh, is Sonic Pi's account. Um, it's the best place to go. And then get involved. Uh, there's, we have a forums, which is really nice, in thread, uh, which you can find on the website, which is really friendly. Uh, and we, we try our best to answer everyone's questions. And there's no wrong questions. We have people who are not just programmers, but educators and musicians. So we're all bringing different knowledges to the table. So that's probably the best place to have a to find other people doing similar things and share ideas. All right, great. Cool. Thank you very much. Keep coding. Yeah, thank you. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will be back with another story next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.